0: Second week of March, this is your Roll Up. David, what are we doing today? We are rolling up the second week
1: of March. It's always an ambitious endeavor in the world of crypto to condense a full week of news into as short of time period as possible. And this is what we try and get done on the weekly rollups. We talk about the markets, what has happened in the last week of the markets. We go into news, what got, uh, what is in the news cycle in the last week. And then we go into releases, what got released in the last week. And then we finish up with some ecosystem takes, who had some good opinions in the last week of crypto. And then we go into what David and Ryan are excited excited about and last and my personal favorite the meme of the week to finish things off
0: yep you come for the roll-up you stay for the meme that's how it goes David you ready to get into the roll-up let's roll it up Ryan all right, man. Hey, before we do, one thing we should mention to our listeners is that Consensus is having a conference. This is a bull market conference, and there's only like five more days. I think by the time you listen to this, it might be four more days to get a ticket at a reduced price with a bankless code. You can get that for $79, so make sure you check that out. I will be going. David, Ray Dalio is going to be there. You know, what if he announced he was buying Bitcoin at this conference? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like, what if, you know? You want to be there for that? I want to be there for that. You know,
1: it's more likely that he would because he's going, right? Like, why would Ray Dalio go to a crypto conference if he isn't intrinsically interested in crypto? Question mark?
0: Wow. This is how rumors start. We don't know, guys, of course. But check out that conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. David, let's get to markets. What is Bitcoin telling us this week? It's not telling us that Ray Dalio purchased, but it's telling us something good, I have a feeling. What's the price?
1: Yeah, Bitcoin is really pushing, again, up a previous, up against a previous all-time high, it is at fifty-seven thousand four hundred and seventy-four. What is that previous all-time high, Ryan? If you uh, go out into the longer time frames, I think it's something like fifty-eight something thousand dollars. We we have gotten oh, really
0: close. Yeah, there it yeah. is. We're really close to the peak there. So we we're, we're almost a climbing little Everest over again.
1: fifty-eight thousand dollars, and and we are just under that. Uh, just a, a one more thousand dollar pump out of Bitcoin, and we could be seeing Bitcoin all-time highs once again.
0: Ether is not doing us any favors this week. It's you know it's just hanging. It's just hanging under 2,000. I want to celebrate that ETH 2K again, but not going to be this week. What? Where are we at? And what's going on?
1: Yeah, Ether price. I think it's uh, moving up off the floor pretty strongly, tr- struggling to keep itself above eighteen hundred dollars at the time of recording. Seventeen and a hundred dollars. I always mess that up. One hundred and seven, one thousand seven hundred ninety six dollars is the user <laughs> price, uh, and I, I think it's in a little bit of a holding pattern. But we are definitely uh, moving up to two thousand dollars, four K by May? Question marks, four K, four K by, by May.
0: Well, look, mm. your last call of it won't drop below thirteen hundred kind of held. So congrats per- on that, perfectly
1: sir. held. It went down to twelve hundred ninety seven and then just got right back up there. It did not Ooh. like the twelve hundreds.
0: Sir, sign me up for your hedge fund, sir. When are you when are you found <laughs> that, David's making the calls here. All right, what's we'll make some calls. We've got uh, total locked in DeFi that is holding steady as well. Over forty billion though, that's a lot locked in DeFi. Anything you want to say about that, or should we uh, skip to uh, DPI?
1: More DeFi protocols, more assets deposited into DeFi protocols. Eventually, we are going to just resume this climb up this mountain, and you know, next stop, hundred billion dollars. Maybe I'm just a impermeable.
0: You know what, you are a permable, but it was crazy to me. Do you remember we had that conversation with Vance from Framework like way back over the summer and he was predicting total locked value and he said something like a hundred billion would be like the low estimate of total locked value? And now here we are at close to fifty billion, right? Well done, Vance. Another well done, guy who Vance. could you should start a fund with Vance, David. <laughs>
1: Fantastic uh, podcast episode. Uh, the bull case for DeFi, a uh, hundred billion dollars locked in DeFi at the time of recording was a little bit absurd, but now we're only uh, a little bit over a doubling away from that. And there's so much left in this bull market, too.
0: Dude, our our previous podcasts were fire. Like if you yeah. listen to those, even like um uh, the bull case for NFTs has held up very strongly. We recorded that back in the fall. Uh, anyway. Go check out Bankless Archive. You guys can see some of those predictions. Bankless um, doesn't
1: age. I dare any listeners <laughs> to go less. and find find something that has aged poorly. I dare you.
0: Wow, someone will now. So <laughs> you just uh, you just taunted all of Twitter. Um, all right, tell us about DPI. That's at four fifty. So once again, this is the DeFi Pulse Index. We talk about it every week because it's important. These are the top ten defi protocols we're hanging out at 455 or so um a little up on the week actually up not bad the week,
1: yep started uh, ended last week at 420 dollars. now we are at 455 dollars in the defi index again slow slow march up into the right for the defi index let's look at it versus ether ryan all right, here we are at DPI versus ETH, 0.251 DPI for, per, versus ETH. Um, and we are seeing that channel play out in the longer time frames. DPI versus ETH over the course of 2021, doing a really good job of staying in a channel. Uh, down versus ETH on the week, but still in that upwards trend up and to the right. And again, DPI versus ETH is the indication that people are being risk on. Ryan's I broke having, the chart. Ryan's having trouble navigating <laughs> I charts. She chart, so clearly David. doesn't look at the charts.
0: <laughs> look, man, I'm a long time, long term permable, so I don't care what's going on in the minute by minute, David. But like, what is this telling us? Are we still in DeFi season?
1: Yeah, we are st- still in DeFi season. Go ahead and hit that uh, year to date (YTD) in the bottom left corner, and we can see what it's been looking like. There we go. Uh, yeah. So again, a, a local in- local down in the last week, but in that uh, solid up into the right trend.
0: Very good. Okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about this dashboard. We like showing dashboards. We like showing data in the market section. This is the MEV Explorer. You're going to have to explain this. Minor extractable value is what MEV stands for. What is it? Why is it important? It looks like it's going up, but unlike our other numbers, going up has been a good thing. This is not necessarily a good thing. We don't necessarily want this number to go up. Get into this for us, David.
1: Yeah, it's a nuanced conversation. I wouldn't say that MEV is exclusively a bad thing, but if it's unanswered for or unaccounted for, it definitely can really mess with your blockchain. A minor extractable value is the value that you can extract if you are a person that has the rights to order transactions. And in proof of work, those are the miners, right? So miners are collecting transactions throughout the ecosystem. When you broadcast a transaction, it goes into what is called the mempool, which is where all the miners listen to and they start pulling out of the, all the transactions with the highest gas fees and then they include them in a block. But what sophisticated miners can do is they can order transactions as they see fit to maximize their own returns because they also get to inject to their own transactions as well, right? And so m- miners can tinker with trades. If people are putting in trades into Uniswap, USDC for DA- for DAI or Ether or whatever, miners can take that spread between the input and the output of those trades. And they can take that for themselves because they're the ones ordering the transactions. And uh, we-, we see this in bidding wars when bots try and arbitrage or compete for the rights to make to take this spread, uh, and what ultimately happens is that these bot arbitrage just bid up the va- the value of the gas. And into up to the value of the transaction that they would have received, right? And so if through an arbitrage trade that they would have gotten $100, they'll build up to $99 worth of gas. So ultimately, it just goes to the miners. And this can be destabilizing for a blockchain. If if a block in Ethereum gets mined and it has 100 ETH worth of fees, well, Ethereum only issues 2 ETH per block. And so Ethereum, the blockchain, won't be stable for 50 more blocks until the issuance of Ether catches up with the fees issued. By that one block. Now, EIP 1559 is a fantastic mitigator of this, um, but there are plenty of other things to be concerned about because this is a destabilizing event for for blockchains. And th- why this is in markets is that this is an important metric that people need that is not found in legacy in legacy finance. This is not something that has correlates. I guess you, we could talk about like the extremely high frequency one core, traders. Yeah.
0: Exactly. One correlate yeah. I would say is sort of the, the flash boys, high mm-hmm. frequency traders who, who literally park their servers like as close as possible next to the, the right. NASDAQ servers and, and have an advantage that way by getting their orders in before everybody else. This is right. somewhat similar to that, right? That's exactly right.
1: Right. Except now now the, now there's a new party. Um, now it's the miners or in future, this is the proof of stake validators. Um, and, and this is going to be a metric that traditional finance is going to first be intimidated about, but I think will really increasingly come to love because of how much rich data Amongst other things, is pr- provided to them through this metric, and so this is going. Paying attention to MEV is going to be a decades-long experiment, and it's going to be one of the most fascinating economic experience ex- experiments that humans have ever gone through.
0: Yeah, it'll it'll follow us to in mm-hmm. this multi-chain future. It'll follow us to to layer two when layer two um, validators have the ability to reorder transactions. We'll see MEV there. So it's it's something kind of i guess pernicious in some ways it's something mm-hmm. that we definitely have to to monitor it's harnessable uh, and it's and harnessable though it's harnessable it can be used for good mm-hmm. um anyway we've talked about it a lot enough but we'll look at this metric from time to time in the weekly roll-up i think the key takeaway is it's going up it's going miners up. are finding ways to extract value out of reordering transactions and, and we should continue to monitor that in the future M- um MEV is a double-edged sword, and it's up to consensus mechanism
1: designers, mechanism designers, to make sure that that sword is a weapon for good, not for bad.
0: Let's well, slay Moloch with slay that Moloch. sword, shall we, mm-hmm. sir? Indeed. All right, um, David. This is an interesting take. It's a take by Stani from Ave. Is DeFi undervalued? Well, Coinbase is worth a hundred billion dollars. That valuation demonstrates maybe how undervalued defi is mm-hmm. look david if you compare the coinbase valuation right now it's uh, 100 billion hasn't hasn't released its ipo yet it will but this is what it's trading for on secondary like prediction type markets right so it's a fairly good proxy 100 billion dollars one crypto bank all of defi put together david do you know how much that is how much i'll tell you 85 billion it's less. All of DeFi is worth less than one single solitary crypto bank. The interesting Are these thing, the of aggregate course, of DeFi
1: tokens, is that the, how we measure the, it.
0: Yes, aggregate okay. of DeFi tokens right now. So total value of DeFi is about 85 billion market cap, according to CoinGecko. Valuation of one crypto bank, 100 billion. Feels to me like DeFi has a long ways to catch up. Maybe it's undervalued at this point. And if you look. At the banking global banking system right now, uh, global banking market cap, Lucas from our team put this together $6.2 trillion, whereas the market cap of DeFi is only 85 billion. So we are very early on, is the point. One thing I'd like to say about this is um, DeFi tokens don't have the overhead that mm-hmm. Coinbase and traditional banks have, David, right? Like they don't have offices. They don't have many employees. <laughs> like a team, Uniswap is a team of like fifteen people compared to, to Coinbase, which employs you know thousands, and then big banks like crypto, like J.P. Morgan, they're employing tens of thousands, right? So um, market cap has got to flip in at some point too. We are in the early days. Any takes here?
1: Yeah, I think the reason why Coinbase is valued at such a high level versus DeFi is because DeFi is harder to understand than Coinbase. And a constant theme that we talk about on Bankless is it's bullish to be understood. And people are understanding Coinbase sooner than they are understanding DeFi, and that is my explanation for the discrepancy between these two, uh, these two uh, valuations. And that's also the alpha that Bankless listeners should be paying attention to, because if you understand DeFi, you can be bullish on it and express that. And if hopefully we're right, cross our fingers. But like the discrepancy between these two things should definitely not just equalize. Uh, Another reference to Van Spencer's uh, podcast with us, the the bull case for DeFi, is that people that build DeFi protocols, they're not going for the typical C-corp, you know, public IPO valuation. They are going for many hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars worth of, of value created. And there's no way that that equates in the legacy world. We are trying to create something substantially new in value generative and the valuations of DeFi protocols at maturity should be orders of magnitude larger than the typical company ipoing on the stock market
0: david's bullish DeFi 5 maybe undervalued it's you know bit. it's a up to bullish. it's up to you to use these protocols and determine for yourself that's part of the bankless journey as well mm-hmm. don't just take our word for it go use this stuff and see for yourself uh david let's skip to this we mentioned this last time on the roll-ups but um, Grayscale is still, this is the GBTC product and the ETH-E product. They are still trading under NAV. And traditionally, when we've talked about these products, these of course can be purchased in traditional brokerages like Fidelity. You can buy GBTC. That is not actual Bitcoin. It's a trust. It's a proxy for Bitcoin. It comes with its own management fees, but it's always traded over spot. Same thing with ETH-E. It's always traded for more than the value of its underlying. No longer, David. Now, last week is trading for uh, 15% below spot price of Bitcoin. Um, I asked crypto Twitter, like, what's going on here? Because we talked a little bit about it, uh, but like last time, but um, we didn't talk about it in detail. And David, you know, the most interesting, I got a lot of different answers. Some people are trying to figure out what's going on. But the most interesting answer uh, to me was that actually GPTC is facing some competition these days. Okay, so microstrategy, what is that? Well, that's a stock that you can buy in your Fidelity account that can be a proxy for the price of Bitcoin. There's rumors of ETFs on the horizon. There's increasing competitive pressure on GPDC, and so it is trading at a discount uh, as a result of this, this increase in competition. So net, David, I feel like that's a good thing for the space, like we want competitive pressures. Um, for these, these proxy financial products. And you know, the thing we want most of all, David, is we want the sec to let retail get access to an ETF. Cause it's a complete ripoff right, right now. And all they have to do is hit that button to approve. And they've been holding back all this time. Uh, gets me upset every time I talk about it. Any takes here? Yeah, there's a huge story here. I think
1: what my opinion as to why this uh, this the premium is below the the nav, as in like when you buy something, uh, you buy one bitcoin's worth of value, you actually only get 85% worth of a bitcoin because of Grayscale. The, the people have been arbitraging the Grayscale premium for forever, and there's yes. a certain there is a six months commitment that you must do, and so when you deposit your bitcoin into Grayscale with the uh, intention of generating, of capturing that premium. So previously the, the GBTC premium was 50% over NAV, meaning that uh, the, the value of the market cap of GPTC was 50% higher than the Bitcoin that was backing it. The reason why this premium was so high because of demand, people wanted it. And so people would come in, submit their Bitcoin. And in, in six months, because of the rules of regulation, six months, they would be able to turn their one Bitcoin into 1.5 Bitcoins worth of GPTC sell that on the open market and it's for dollars, take those dollars and buy 1.5 Bitcoin. So you magically poof turned one Bitcoin into 1.5. This has been a massive arbitrage opportunity for so many companies. And my opinion is it got flooded. Too many people tried to take the same premium. And as a result, uh, people, when they sell GBTC, they push the pressure down. And it's a really sad story for the typical uninformed retail investor who wants to go buy Bitcoin in, in their brokerage and their ways that they are they are comfortable with. And they buy GBTC at 150% premium. And now it's 15% below the value of Bitcoin. Meanwhile, actual Bitcoin has gone up. And so during times where actual Bitcoin holders have made money, GBTC holders have lost money. And this is the Fault of the SEC, not Grayscale, in the slightest. It is the SEC's fault for not protecting consumers by approving an ETF. This is what an ETF is supposed to do, and instead we have these shitty, inefficient mechanisms to try and get Bitcoin exposure. Just approve the ETF. Come on, let's get this done.
0: It's really it's causing the ripoff, like a mass ripoff of retail Mm -hmm. investors, and it's really a shame. Absolutely. I'm sure there's tons of people from the SEC listening to this right now that heard that message, David, and are rushing to approve the ETF. Just do it. David <laughs> says <said> so. David <laughs> says so. David wants it. Look, retail wants it. Uh, it's very clear mm-hmm. from a demand perspective. David, the last thing we should mention is our favorite Gitcoin grant organization. Uh, this is a grant organization funding public goods on Ethereum. They have just launched their latest grant running, uh, grant. They just launched their latest grant funding round. That is hard to say. Uh, And there's a matching process here. Tell us about that and how folks can get involved.
1: Yeah, Gitcoin is a beloved platform of the Ethereum ecosystem. Gitcoin, I consider a public good, but it's importantly distinct from typical public goods because it is a public good that funds other public goods. And what is Ethereum other than a layer of hosting public goods of money and finance on the internet. And so using Gitcoin is really important. And so if you like something, if you like to use an application or a protocol and you would want to help fund that, Gitcoin Grants is for you. The cool thing about Gitcoin Grants is that your dollar is amplified, right? And so if you use something for free, but you would like to contribute value to it, you can donate a dollar. And because of quadratic funding, which is something that everyone listening should be familiar with, I think it's a little bit too much to explain all the details about, but I'll do my best, is that there is outsize matching. And so if you donate $1, you could get matched up to $10 or $100. And how much you are matched by is determined by how many other unique people are also donating to the same thing that you are donating. It's a very clever mechanism and it's a way to fund things on Ethereum that otherwise wouldn't have gotten funded. So if you like to use stuff in Ethereum, either protocols or you want to see protocols um, built out, uh, last last uh, Bitcoin grant, I donated to uh, Tornado Cash because I want privacy on Ethereum. I also am going to in- intend on donating to Connects network this, pro- uh, this uh, cycle because I want that L2 liquidity mesh network to be built out if you believe in something donate to it now's the time you've probably made a decent amount of money in the last few months throw a few dollars at gitcoin
0: yep every dollar depending on the project you fund could be worth like we're not talking small amounts a dollar you get $20 matching, $50 matching, $100 matching. That is the power of quadratic matching, as David was saying. So check that out, guys. Before we get into the releases section, which we're super excited about, we want to tell you about the fantastic sponsors that made this episode possible.
1: Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid DAI markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version two, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Ave you can leverage the full power of DeFi money legos yield and composability all in one application. Collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at ave.com. That's
0: Aave.com. That's A A V E.com. All right, David. Let's get to releases. This is one I am super excited about. What I'm showing here on Twitter is hot protocol, and this is showing a MetaMask connection and we're moving from one layer two to another side chain or another layer two from Arbitrum, the layer two roll up to XDAI. We're actually moving funds in this transaction. That's what you're seeing. If you're, if you're viewing this on YouTube, David, explain what is going on here with hot protocol.
1: Right, so the problem that is being addressed is that liquidity can be fractured across various L2s. And that's bad because we want liquidity to be centralized or centralized into specific exchanges. And uh, HOP protocol, I, I don't know if this is true, but I'm assuming what they are doing is some sort of payment channel mechanism where they're, uh, ha- they have liquidity providers on both sides, or they have, or they are actually sending it, routing it through the L1. I don't think that's true. I think what, what must be going on is a, a, a payment channel, and they are just connecting uh, assets across various L2s. So somebody has but die on both sides of. Um, of XDAI and Arbitrum, and then somebody wants to trade ETH and they want to get ETH on one side, DAI on the other, market makers on both sides of the, of the uh, L2s are, are allowing people to just swap assets. So, so they're not sending their assets. They are just swapping assets. And the assets can be either the same or different on both sides. Um, that is a really important tool to make sure that liquidity across L2s and overall L2 usability stays really, really accessible. So uh, getting onto an L2 can take a lot of gas, but with something like Hot Protocol, you can stay on various L2s and experience all L2s without actually having to go back to Ethereum, because if you end up going back to Ethereum, you're going to have to pay another gas fee. And that's $100 every time you want to go onto an L2 or, or, or so, which, you know, while it's still an, an improvement on 100% L1 transfers, uh, it's still too much for people that want to be able to use Ethereum. So this is helping them with that.
0: Yeah, very cool stuff. And of course, we want to be precise in our language, and sometimes uh, we're not always precise, but it's important for listeners to know that the difference between a sidechain and and an L2, the difference is this. A sidechain to Ethereum is not secured by the Ethereum protocol or ETH, asset. A Layer 2, an L2, as David was saying, absolutely is. And so this is a a transfer from Arbitrum, which is a roll-up, which would be L2, which would be secured by the Ethereum uh, chain, to a side sidechain, um, XDI, which has its own validator set and is not secured by the Ethereum chain. We'll repeat that every once in a while so you guys get the flavor of that. But David, this also reminds me of your conversation with Kinex. Uh, there is a whole Meet the Nation video on YouTube about that, where you talk to Kinex Can you give us the TLDR of that conversation, because um, it it seems very related to to this topic of chain-to-chain interoperability without having to go back to the main chain.
1: Yeah, Connect has been with Ethereum since 2017, working on payment channels, because we understand payment uh, channels to be an extremely useful piece of technology. But Connect has really kind of struggled to see where payment channels fits into Ethereum except for lately with this exact same problem. And so wow. uh, the the conversation uh, I it, I think was really cool because it was one part a lesson in ethereum history, it was one part a lesson in cryptography, it was one part a lesson in liquidity and one part a lesson in L2s. And so it was, there was a bunch of information all wrapped into one. And basically where connects has landed is the system for matching orders across l2s across any l2 um, that is evm compatible and even stuff that isn't evm compatible including bitcoin's lightning network so if bitcoin's lightning network does ever actually achieve adoption we could match Bitcoin's Lightning Network with a payment on an L2 via Connext, uh, which is pretty crazy. And so there's a bunch of cross-protocol interoperability and communication that is viable due to these payment channel levels uh, in, uh, like, uh, that acts as like this mesh network middleware layer between all of these various L2s.
0: It's super cool to hear state channels actually having almost a, a rebirth moment, just as we need them, and we need this this chain to chain interoperability, and state channels may be a solution for that. Super cool. Listeners David, should double
1: check us if uh, state
0: channels are actually part of Hot Protocol. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, so take note. That is true. Okay, um, this is another interesting, I think, update from MakerDAO this time, mm-hmm. and this is they are announcing Optimism. So this is of optimism roll-up, die bridge with fast withdrawals. This is a theme that I think we'll we'll hear. It's really like layer two season. Uh, I think we'll see a ton of DeFi protocols over the coming weeks and months start announcing what their layer two initiatives are, what their layer two solutions are, where they're going to deploy next. We, we heard that last roll-up. This is, this is it again. This is MakerDAO, though, a pretty longstanding DeFi protocol making an announcement of how they're going to handle this. What's the TLDR for us?
1: Yeah, the, the, the TDLDR for me is that we are solving problems before they actually even arise, right? And so we are allowing tokens, starting with DAI, um, on and off of L2s uh, with immediate or relatively fast withdrawals, near instant is what they say. Um, and this is, this is a similar problem to what we were just talking about, but it's fixing the problem of getting on and off L2s from the L1, which at least with optimistic rollups, getting off, getting on is instant and does cost money. and getting off can take up to a week or even longer depending on the, the construction of the optimistic rollup. Uh, and so, fixing that problem is already being addressed even before optimistic rollups have actually been deployed to Ethereum. Uh, and so maybe it's a cart before the horse, but what really my takeaway is that we are having compounding progress in the Ethereum ecosystem.
0: Yeah, super cool, definitely. This is another DeFi protocol. This one's called Superfluid, and they are announcing that they've deployed not on Ethereum mainnet, but interestingly, they've deployed on right on sidechains basically or Layer 2. Uh, with the deployment to Polygon and XDAI. And David, when I looked at what Superfluid is doing, I thought it was super cool because this is an idea that um, a protocol called uh, Sablier had, which was like streaming payments. So um, almost a new DeFi money protocol unlock where if I want to send you $100, I could stream that to you over a 24 period of time. Or let's say I want to pay you as a contractor, David, and I owe you you know, $2,000 a month. I could stream that to you over the 30-day monthly period of time. It's like st- the idea of streaming money is super cool. It just wasn't actually practical on Ethereum mainnet because of gas fees and because, you know, Ethereum mainnet is not not really great for this, these peer-to-peer transactions that are small amounts, but it works super well on something like Polygon, something like XDAI. And that's what super where Superfluid is deploying it handles subscriptions, salaries, rewards, any composable stream of value with continuous settlement and per second net netting for what? For extreme capital efficiency. This is a a, a cool new unlock, David. I'm I'm super excited to to check this out and actually try it out.
1: Yeah, listeners should understand that this starts with money, but it ends with everything. And that's why they have composable stream of value. So think about uh, equity... distributions or vesting periods where like you get unlocked in tranches and it's just rigid and we can smooth that out. Uh, Vitalik I know likes to uh, talk about um, streaming payments for compensation for pe- for people that la- allow people to use their Wi-Fi and so you could pay someone a penny for every megabyte you download using their Wi-Fi meaning you can go anywhere in the world and and somebody might be able to let you use their Wi-Fi if you just pay them with streaming payments. The, the use cases for this are infinite. Infinite, any any type of asset, any valuable asset, any sort of logic about about time. It, I think time is actually the really strong component here because it allows you to link assets and time. I think that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something you cannot do again in the traditional space for sure. Last, we should talk about this release, and it's a release that is actually upcoming, but the the announcement is that some pretty large VCs, Andreessen Horowitz Framework Framework Ventures, we were just talking about Vance earlier from Framework, uh, Coinbase Ventures, Angelist, Duval, a bunch of people are investing in the FAY protocol. This is, David, uh, a new algorithmic stable coin. we talked about algorithmic stable coins a lot in the past. Um, empty Set Dollar would be an example of this. Um, also, MakerDAO is kind of an algorithmic stablecoin, but it is collateral-backed, whereas Empty Set Dollar is not. This FAY protocol seems to kind of mix Um, a a bit of that collateral backed world, but rather than being backed by vaults that are put in place by individual users, it's actually backed by a protocol. So it's almost like protocol collateral backed. There are a ton of specifics here and actually the mechanism design gets pretty complicated, right? But again, this is back to the idea that what is a stable coin trying to do? It's trying to be stable over time. It's trying to, to have a predictable Um, stability mechanism attached to it. This is an even more complicated way to to do it, and we're innovating. Again, back to the theme we always talk about on Bankless David, which is every money experiment on Ethereum will be tried. Any conceivable experiment that can be tried will be tried. This is just another one. I'm not sure if I'm bullish or bearish on this, but in the category of algorithmic stablecoins in general, something's got to work. We're just trying too many experiments for it not to.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I I dove into this white paper trying to get my head wrapped around this to be able to explain it, and I saw some pretty crazy math equations that are well (laughs) beyond my interest. Uh, My takeaway was that um, there are things being tried on Ethereum that are increasing in complexity and increasing in sophistication and i'm kind of reminded that uh the bare bones defi protocols well we don't consider them bare bones but they i think in the future they could be considered the bare bones defi protocols the defi protocols that are based off of addition subtraction and division where like uniswap have, it's yeah, super simple where, it's whereas core. like defi protocols based off of like calculus or whatever was more complicated than calculus, I didn't do very well in math in school, uh, is, is coming. And that is a potential feature. And so can't wait for all the crazy calculus DeFi apps to come.
0: Yeah, they're definitely increasing in complexity. Um, th- this is interesting because it actually has a launch event where it's going to be distributed. People can park ETH in it to get some of the Fade Protocol. We'll have some stuff on the newsletter about that. Maybe an alpha leak mm-hmm. as it launches. We will see. Um, David, all right, that's releases. Let's get to news. Here's the big news. This news isn't crypto news. news. This isn't just crypto news. I mean, this is like global us news macro. but it's also global news the senate has just passed a 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief bill it's much talked about everybody gets another 1400 stimulus check of course if you have children you get even more than that david what's going on here what are the, some of the the i guess key points and takeaways
1: yeah, this is a, a huge victory for Biden, who was kind of leading the charge with trying to get stimulus checks into the hands of Americans. Um, and so this will be the third, yeah, the third stimulus check for Americans. Uh, first was 1200 then another $600 one, uh, dollar one came, and then, and then next a $1,400 stimulus check came. This is in stark contrast to 2008, where I don't think any Americans got uh, got stimulus checks. Um, and so uh, we are learning that we have the power of the money printer. The people learned that and the people demanded it. Uh, and so while it's one thing that I'm, I'm glad bailouts are going to people, not just corporations, we also have to re- be reminded, at least for us in the, Amer- uh, in the United States, of our American privilege because we have the global reserve asset that everyone else wants and the money printer of America is printing it out for Americans as a gift because they are Americans. Whereas the rest of the world doesn't actually get access to that money printer, even though they want the dollars. Um, so American privilege being expressed here.
0: Everybody has, every other country has their own money printer. Some work better than others. Uh, the U.S. arguably has the one the that best. works better than them all right, right. now. But the, the problem with money printers, of course, is that if they are abused, that might run no out of longer ink. be the case. <laughs> you could run out of ink. I guess if we're using that metaphor. You know, the interesting thing about this, David, is whatever regime, whatever political regime is in control is going to hit the money printer button, like no matter what this whole modern monetary theory that is in full swing and full effect. I think the last 10 to 20 years, what we've seen is money printing that's gone to capital, Uh, essentially those that control the capital. Uh, oh, yes, last yes, yes. ten no. to fifteen years, I'd say yeah. it's more capital, right? So, like, you know, uh, pr- we've talked about this on Bankless, the uh, the Cantillon effect. Basically, if you're in close proximity to the money printer, you get it first. And so we've seen this in asset appreciation, these stocks, real estate, this sort of thing. But now, labor, the people, as you said, are starting to um, get control of the money printer and bending it to their will. This is what UBI is, and. Like I'm not here to say that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it is a thing that is happening, and anyone listening to this should absolutely understand that the money printer trend is not going away. We've had the first, I guess, uh, chapter of this whole money printer that's gone to capital. I think the next chapter is going to go to labor, going to go to the people. We're not going to see the end of these checks that are going to U.S. citizens or citizens of any other country. Their central bank is going to continue to do this. It's going to be a major theme of the decade. And in the backdrop stands crypto, which is not based on central bank monetary policy, something I think about a lot.
1: (laughs) Very, very, very true. I wouldn't, again, like the, the usage of the money printer, I don't think is ever a good thing. Uh, I guess that makes me a little bit of an Austrian, but you're totally right. We've been using it and we're going to be using it. And so now the fact that we're giving the the fruits of the money printer out to more people, I guess, is better. In my opinion, I'd still be a fan of destroying the money printer. Right. Like that. It's like the one ring that should be destroyed. Right. Like no one should have that power. But we do have that power. So if we're going to have that power, let's distribute it to as many people as possible. That's the ethos yeah. behind proof of stake too, by the way, is staking rewards can be done by anyone, anywhere, anyone w- with a laptop, right? And so that's the same kind of energy. And the Bitcoin energy is the opposite of saying, like, no one should have that power, so we delete it, right? And America is coming to terms with like, well the American citizens have figured out, well, we have this power. How can we harness it? And then the wealthy elite have been like, damn it, they found out that we have this power. Like, now they know. Oh, no. Like, that's my story. That's my TLDR of what's going on.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much. I think, look, uh, the difference between this form of money printing and the money printing that we saw over the last 10 years is this is uh, fiscal, right? This is mm-hmm. not not just the Fed chair, like, you know, adjusting rates or providing quantitative, uh, quantitative easing. This is... Congress and the executive branch, like on behalf of the people voting to increase, uh, money supply and put that in the hands of the people. So this is a whole new chapter. Um, you know, and uh look, it's it's all part of the same story. Um, let's talk about another story that is super important. This is a, a crypto native story, but we've been tracking it for a while. This is in EIP 1559 59. In Stark Contrast. <laughs> yes, yes. What a segue. So in crypto, we're not trying to print more money, actually. We're trying to to burn money, apparently, <laughs> right? Bitcoin is the story of a fixed supply money, but ether is becoming a story of actually a negative issuance, mm-hmm. possibly a mm-hmm. burning mm-hmm. like the furnaces, my friend, EIP 1559 has been approved to go in, not the next hard fork, but the hard fork after, which could be slated for a July release of uh, Ethereum. And that would put this thing EIP 1559 into the protocol for, for folks that haven't paying attention to what eip 1559 is could you give a quick summary and uh, tell us why this is so important right Uh,
1: eip 1559 instead of making a transaction under in ethereum and that transaction fee going to validators or miners instead it just gets burned Uh, and there's a, a number of reasons behind this one it's just more game theoretically stable if you just burn that fee um, and the, imp- the important juxtaposition here is that uh, transaction fees on Ethereum it reflect demand for Ethereum's block space, which reflects demands for Ethereum economy, right? And so, Ethereum as a protocol, when it collects fees, that is like the Ethereum system collecting revenue. That is the GDP of Ethereum. The revenue that Ethereum collects is directly correlated with. Uh, the GDP of the Ethereum economy. And because we are now burning this, e- Ether, the asset. The scarcity of Ether should also be tracking the GDP of Ethereum. As the GDP of Ethereum grows, we should be burning more and more Ether, making Ether more and more scarce. So, this is in stark contrast to the United States economy, where our GDP, except for during COVID, our GDP has never been higher, yet we are still issuing money at an all time high rate. Those two things are backwards because if the American economy, if the American nation state was efficient, it would be able to generate revenue from its own GDP. is what a nation state does. This is what Ethereum does. It generates security to fund itself, to fund its growth through the GDP that it taxes. Uh, In in the United States, we tax our citizens, and then we also print money. Ethereum taxes the people that use it, and then it burns money. And it importantly burns, it it issues like a stock buyback on Ether, the asset, because the more and more Ether that it can pull away from the secondary market to make Ether more and more scarce, makes Ethereum and Ether Harder to attack under a proof-of-stake paradigm. There's your EIP-1559 lesson. Like, bang, bang, <laughs> nice, in like two minutes.
0: That was awesome, man. And and guys, uh, go check out the uh, the opening note that, that David wrote about EIP-1559. It's a great summary. So basically, what we're doing is we're taxing transactions, and we're giving that back to ETH holders mm-hmm. in the form of a burn. Good times to be an ETH holder. The last thing I'll say, David, is I don't think the market has woken up and realized that this is an actual protocol going into a store of value commodity asset like ether. I don't think the market understands what mm-hmm. EIP 1559 is. Guys, I think this is alpha. This, this is, is if, you, alpha. if you are in this space, you see. do you see anybody talking about this? Oh, well, here's the closest thing, actually. actually <laughs> this is I, Bloomberg. <laughs> This is the Bloomberg front page. The first time I've seen an Ethereum related article. But, David, this is what they, this, this is, is their headline. headline is so awesome. Crypto coin outperforming Bitcoin is about to see supply reduced. David, crypto coin, I guess they're talking about Ether. Are I they? Yes. Crypto coin. That's my favorite crypto coin. It turns out they are. But this is the first, like, um i guess narrative that we're Mm -hmm. seeing of eip 1559 escaping into into mainstream so it's still super early the market doesn't understand this the market has just wrapped its head around 21 million fixed supply bitcoin wait till they figure out eip 1559 burning supply ether dude so eip
1: 1559 extremely elegant upgrade to a blockchain it just it is so perfect in every single way yet the best thing about EIP-1559 is not anything about the code. It's about the narrative. It's about the story that is told, yes. which is the best fucking thing about it. Oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy.
0: David, we're going to do an entire episode about EIP-1559, guys. And we have a fantastic guest who's the been an EIP-1559, like the best analyst, the guy who understands it's the best, Hasu, Hasu, who's a pseudo-anonymous um, uh, Researcher? I guess analyst, yeah. and thinker, researcher, crypto economic researcher
1: I would call him. Yeah.
0: Yes, we are camping an entire episode on this. It is that important. So stay yep. tuned to Bankless podcast. Make sure you check out that episode coming. Last thing on EIP 1559. Not everyone's a fan. Not everyone's right. a fan. Miners do not like it. Can't can't please this everyone. A, we can't well, this is Ethereum miners and this is a headline saying Ethereum miners plot a hash power show of force against EIP 1559 nine. So there's undercurrents of, of threats coming from miners. Of course, miners revenue is going to get cut as a result of this oh, yeah. uh, 20%, 30%. I mean, they're doing pretty well and they're they've been doing, doing okay. pretty well. Okay. So that's the, that's the backdrop of this. That's the context, but I've had actually a lot of people reach out to me, David, and like, are you concerned about this, that it won't go through? Um, are you concerned that miners might fork? Um, my response to that is, no, I'm not concerned at all, not even in the slightest. I think miners think they are, some miners think they are far more powerful over this ecosystem than they are. They, If they fork, that's great for ETH holders, right? Thanks for the free coin. See you later. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy some more ETH. That's it. End of story, right? Um, I think that the, the threat of miner fork is definitely uh, overinflated. Um, in fact, I think a lot of this might be saber rattling. We'll see if they fork or not, Uh, but it could very well be just saber rattling. If they do fork in the end, I'm not concerned about it. What's your opinion on this?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely saber rattling. And the reason why, like the title of this, uh, a hash power show of force. And what that means is that a bunch of miners are going to all signal with their hash power saying, hey, we do not approve this. And this is just the wrong paradigm. Ethereum doesn't answer to hash power. That's not what it does. It's not Bitcoin. This isn't Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin. This is Ethereum. First off, proof of stake is coming where your hash power is just going to get deleted anyways. And so, like, goodbye. And also, cool, You can anyone can fork a blockchain. It doesn't matter if all of the hash power goes in one direction. If all of the community goes in a different direction and starts valuing the, a different fork, Hash power is going to go to the fork that is valued because that's where revenue comes from. It doesn't matter if you have, if 99% of hash power is signaling in support of something. If all of the value goes into a different fork, then miners are just going to go back to that one.
0: Like the hash power is not
1: the, the saber. It's not a weapon. like, no,
0: it's a bluff. We... We've And look, man, we've seen this play out already time and time again, even in the Bitcoin ecosystem, right, with kind of these other uh, minor instigated forks or other party instigated forks like Bitcoin Cash and all of these things. And um it's the community that decides what Bitcoin is. The same, mm-hmm. same with Ethereum. In fact, more so because now we have assets that are issued on top of Ethereum. We have a whole DeFi ecosystem that gets to choose which chain is going to be the chain that it supports, right? Um, And so miners have very little power here. I'm not worried at all. EIP-1559 is going to go through, uh, and it's going to be great, I think, for the stakeholders of the platform who are users, dApp developers, uh, people who believe in a decentralized future and want more economic bandwidth. I'm super bullish. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about the miners, guys. All right, let's talk about this, David. Beeple is setting some more records. Dude, you know what? 70 million. Beeple Art sold for 70 million on Christie's. 70 million. You know, this is the- Today, this morning. Yeah. This just happened. This is the third largest art sale from a living artist in human history. The third largest. Yeah. Like, this is happening in crypto right now. Wow. And- This is like almost, it's on the brink of breaking all traditional records. Um, Look, we've done a lot of NFT content uh, lately. We just talked to OpenSea and Ask Me Anything. That's fantastic. You can check it out on YouTube. We talked to uh, Nifty Gateway. We just had Blau on the podcast. Um, So there's tons of material here, but how would you, what would you summarize, David? Like what's going on here? Dude, it's
1: it's pretty overwhelming <laughs> and like people keep on saying like this market the deep NFT sigh. market you just is, had a deep sigh. <laughs> it's there's so many things to talk about and they're like I feel out of my element and many many people are talking about how it's it's this is the top, it's too frothy. And if you're telling me that like set the, an all-time high record or, or a third third highest or whatever is is setting the records and its crypto and it's just uh, such a short amount of time into this that that makes me concerned. But also, it keeps on going up. Right. And so it keeps, I, I don't know, but like, I'm, I'm optimistic that NFTs are going to innovate and improve in ways that ICO tokens didn't and in way that DeFi tokens did. Um, and I'm optimistic about that. I'm optimistic about just being able to make NFTs more legitimate because there are kind of just like dumb NFTs out there. Um, I'm optimistic. Uh, but damn, is this accelerating really quickly, really fast? You know, congrats to Beeple. I was listening to a Clubhouse uh, conversation of many, many artists that were uh, all trying to get their heads wrapped around NFTs, and uh, I can't remember who who was speaking. But they said that, um, and I don't know Beeple. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. So if anyone knows him, uh, connect us. Um, no Beeple. But they, but they said that that Beeple uh, um, is one, is the best representative to represent NFTs and Ethereum for the space, um, just as a, a testament to his character. Uh, so that makes me feel very good. So congrats, people, and thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, super cool. And it look, it pays to be an innovator here, and people yep. certainly an innovator doing stuff when no one else believed it got all the way to Christie's and the third largest sale ever, and it does feel like This is just getting started, as weird as that sounds. uh, We'll see what happens. Um, But this could put a dampener on it, David. There's been a lot of talk. Oh, no. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk in, I guess, uh, NFT Twitter, right? Which Mm -hmm. is sort of a subset maybe of crypto Twitter, but also intersects with like creator Twitter and art, like all of these other communities that uh, we're not as plugged into about the problem of crypto art. And the summary is the problem is some artists are uh, starting to get their head wrapped around proof of work, in particular Bitcoin proof of work, but also Ethereum is now based on proof of work and the energy consumption behind proof of work. So at least one artist said that it's a disaster I issued a first NFT, but now that I realize its environmental impact is kind of the, you know, the summary. Uh, I am no longer issuing an NFT. And so this has, of course, caused um a uh I guess a, a tremors in the the NFT community. And there have been responses and other responses. Give me give me a quick take on this, at least your take, David. Is this um overblown is this is this real could this curtail the NFT market in a significant way
1: yeah, I've never been compelled by the energy sustainability arguments behind proof of work and, and, and blockchains, even with Bitcoins. Um, we have to realize that Bitcoin is something that is doing a very useful and good thing. And that unfortunately, that thing consumes energy. But so do so many other things in our world that all we also like. It also consumes energy. The counterpoint that I've heard to that is like, well, we also know of this thing called proof of stake. So if we can achieve the same results, but without the energy. Why not? Why not? You know, say no to proof of work and say yes to proof of stake, which I'm also compelled by. But at the end of the day, this, the artist connecting NFTs to energy consumption is just too far, too disparate of a connection to make. Like I just wrote an article about the cultural revolution that I think could come as a result of artistic creation and artistic expression, specifically empowered by NFTs and what those things can do for the world. And There are trade-offs to everything, I guess, and I guess if we could make those trade-offs better, that's always better. But if if proof of work Ethereum, which hosts economic activity based on NFTs, allows for this cultural revolution, along with all the other innovations behind DeFi, like it's worth it. it. things cost things. And at the end of the day, like the reason why electricity with proof of work is so targeted is it's because it's such an easy target, right? Like you can see the miners, you can see them just sucking up all the electricity. And we don't know how much like the Federal Reserve or the inflating money system or like the battleships that the that the United States employs or the aircraft carriers or the f thirty five that cost like 10 billion dollars a plane that we don't really use like all of that cost stuff and that's the system of the us dollar uh and so i I think it's just a bunch of do about nothing
0: it's interesting like so uh, i am sympathetic to a lot of elements of that that argument and i think probably nick carter from bitcoin like um makes them best right In in that you know everything you just said basically um i will also say though that i'm i'm compelled by the argument that well basically um you're saying that there you know proof of work does consume energy right um and that that is worth it for society and that we're not seeing all of the other energy consumption devices and I, i i would say probably someone like nick would also say and by the way some of this energy consumption is actually producing uh, and accelerating the move to more renewable energy sources, right? Which I so I think that's all part of the the argument. But the the thing I think that is interesting as well is that um, that may be true with for proof of work. But as you were saying, like if you compare proof of work to everything else, you know that's re- really not the argument. What you should be doing is comparing proof of work to a better mechanism potentially, like proof of stake. And when you do that and you say, Well, is proof of work worth it or not? And what, what are we trying to get from proof of work? Well, with Bitcoin, you're trying to get an ultra hard, ultra sound digital money. Well, if you could do achieve the same end with proof of stake, and it like the energy consumption is almost like it's nil compared to proof of uh, work, then why not? Where is then your argument for proof of work? Which is ultimately David, where I see Ethereum uh, coming down on, on that side, right? So this whole conversation about NFTs on Ethereum, well, Ethereum is not going to be a proof-of-work blockchain for very much longer, like two years. I, I, that, that would be a long, sh- like I think the merge happens a lot sooner. And so this, this entire commentary is going to be nil anyway. We'll be issuing NFTs on proof-of-stake blockchains like Ethereum uh, moving forward and it won't even be a factor. So it's all temporal in my opinion, but that does not discount. I do think that this narrative, David, uh, you're seeing echoes of this NFT narrative, but it's going to persist in other ways. Right. Um, like a company like Tesla putting Bitcoin on its balance sheet right. in the future. Yeah. Bitcoin is going to have to wrestle with this anti-proof-of-work narrative in a way, on whatever side side of the argument you're on, in a way that proof-of-stake chains do not. And that could give proof-of-stake chains, like Ethereum, a narrative advantage, regardless of of what the data actually uh, falls down on, what side it falls down on.
1: I I don't know who this artist is that made this blog post or or if they are a a big deal artist or just a a minor deal artist. I don't really know. But I do know that NFTs are a democratizing piece of infrastructure that can help creators monetize. So instead of going and and working their nine to five job, perhaps that job is minimum wage. Perhaps they're living a less uh, less than comfortable lifestyle than they really deserve because they can't find ways to monetize their own labor. If NFTs can do that, the cost of the, the proof of work costs of that uh, $70 rareable minting transaction is completely justifiable. Like think about the other downstream implications of this. If we can harness the energy behind NFTs and employ a generation who is otherwise doing meaningless work in their nine to five gargantuan job that they felt was meaningless and it sucked on their soul, let's consume some energy and get that done. Like it's worth it. It's worth it
0: yeah absolutely look guys i think the bottom line is it's uh it's way too soon to cancel nfts let's not do that just yet (laughs) (laughs) we got more work to do it's getting better
1: cancel nfts
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so anyway that's a that's a narrative we will keep you updated on as well all right regulation narrative we actually have some good regulation news this week (laughs) right u.s lawmakers Well, they haven't done it yet, but they're introducing a bill to clarify crypto regulations. One of the key clarifications here would be, what is a security and what is not? Can you give us some clarity? We've been asking for this for a long time. That would definitely help in the US if this bill goes through. I'm more excited about this at the state level uh, because this is even more forward looking. uh, In the state of Wyoming, which has been a very crypto-friendly state, Wyoming passed a bill through I believe maybe the first um the first phase of the bill process or is it totally passed oh it's passed the wyoming senate, senate committee on its way to being passed by the wyoming senate, senate to... um essentially recognize DAOs. these are decentralized autonomous organizations so smart contract systems property management systems on ethereum to recognize them and give them a legal status under the wyoming law structure legal structure this is super cool this is like um this is the kind of thing that regulatory regimes if they really cared about pushing things forward this is the kind of thing they could do to help accelerate the innovation and the crypto economy. And um, ultimately, it'll be good for any regulatory regime that does this and and, and any state or uh, country or government that institutes these crypto friendly laws. So I'm pretty bullish on this, David. What's your take?
1: Yeah, the legal recognition of DAOs is something that is pretty sci-fi and also nicely harmonious between the legacy nation-state and the sci-fi versions of social organizations. Um, We don't have to conflict. We don't have to fight. We can cooperate and integrate. And that's what I see happening here. I don't know if Caitlin Long had anything to do with this, but she is a huge proponent out of the state of Wyoming. If that was anything to do with her, Caitlin, thank you. Thank you for your work. We appreciate it. Come on the podcast, all that stuff
0: um yeah fantastic. absolutely yeah it's she's doing great work in that state and uh so so are many of the wyoming lawmakers um david let's talk about this this is back to nft land a report from somebody who is an mba top shot user talks about DeFi his ted. Experience. yeah we like Defi
1: ted i've been engaged with him
0: do you, do you know defy oh, okay yeah. i don't know defy yeah, anyway he, he's in he, i believe he's he, in the bankless nation Okay, so a uh, real person here, DeFi Ted shout out. <laughs> um, he is relaying his experience on Medium of being like having his funds frozen on NBA Top Shots. And you can go through the whole thread he he provides kind of the history of what it's like $40,000 something like that mm-hmm. of funds he could not withdraw from NBA Top Shots, which is interesting because NBA Top Shots in the Flow chain um, definitely talks about itself as a, as a layer one, right. But it does not have the same level of decentralization baked into it as, as Ethereum does. And I think we want to get some of the folks from uh, NBA top shots on bankless actually mm-hmm. we will do that in the near future to kind of get, get, uh, get their take on this and get their take on whether flow is an Ethereum killer, the future of NFTs. What makes an NFT an NFT, David, I think is a really important question. How decentralized does it have to be to be an NFT? Do you have any hot takes here?
1: Yeah, again, uh, to to take this to the extreme, like I can spin up my centralized database and start issuing unique digital assets that trade on that centralized database. And then I can call those things NFTs. That's not what Flow is. Flow is a blockchain. But it's not Ethereum. It's not Bitcoin. It's not maximally decentralized. And I I think that Flow is, is committing to a huge loss in potential by not having their tokens settle on Ethereum. Because... Part of the digital nature of this ecosystem is the reduction of dependencies, the increasing levels of assurances that you, the user, has your asset. And if the Flow blockchain can censor your NFT, is it really an NFT? If it doesn't have maximum, maximally decentralized and trustlessness assurances about the ownership of said asset and the true link between the NFT and the art, then the question of the NFT gets thrown into question. Um,
0: the nature of the this NFT is, gets thrown. Into this question. is kind of hard because where would you put this, right? Is the question, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, is this a, is this a side chain? Is this mm-hmm. similar like to like a Coinbase or Binance right. for NFTs? That's not that's not how Flow advertises itself. It advertises itself as a layer one right. um, chain for NFTs, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't withdraw your funds from it, if you have to ask permission, if there's any sort of censorship involved, if there's not. A decentralized validator set. um, Then, what are you actually dealing with here? Is it? Is it? Yeah. What are you? So, look. I. You know, we talked about this a little bit on the the AMA with Devin Finster from from OpenSea and kind of the where we came down is basically like this is going to be up to the market to decide. How decentralized does the market want its NFTs to be? And Protocol Sync thesis would say the most valuable Mm -hmm. NFTs, the most valuable assets, everything will have to be on the most credibly neutral settlement layers. Right now, that is something like Ethereum. But also, these other chains will play a role. Maybe some of them will settle to Ethereum. But from what I hear you saying, David, is you would prefer that flow was not a layer one chain at all, that it would be some sort of a a roll-up, uh, chain some sort of a, a layer two with settlement on Ethereum. So I hear that too.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think when people make a, an L1 blockchain, they, I hope they are informed about the, the magnitude of that decision. If you're an L1 blockchain, you are competing to be money. If you are an L1 blockchain, you are competing to have nation-state level resistance. There is no alternative alternative, uh, alternative to that. You have to be self-sovereign and you have to be able to protect yourself from external attack because as soon as the Flow blockchain has a meaningful a level of value to it, it will invite people to come and attack it. And this is the whole point of crypto-economic system design is it needs to be able to withstand attack. And if you are an L1 blockchain, you need to be able to do that. Or you can just deploy to Ethereum and outsource all of that energy to Ether, the asset and proof of stake. The whole point of Ethereum is to make state level sovereign level resistance to any application that exists on top of it. So just, just go on Ethereum. Plus, you get to tap into the power of DeFi. The whole the centralized blockchain, application-specific centralized blockchain thing doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, we are going to have, hopefully, Rome from NBA Top Shots on the program to discuss that very thing. I'm sure he'll have some responses to that, but we will uh, we, we'll talk about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting I'm conversation, I think one I'm of the most important it. ones. Um, David, let's talk about this. We'll just do a quick drive-by here. JP Morgan is launching cryptocurrency exposure basket, but these are just basically Bitcoin proxy stocks. So this is buying MicroStrategy, Square, Riot. JP Morgan is putting this into some sort of fund or uh, index where you can purchase this. Um, look, man, <laughs> like why not buy Bitcoin if you're going to do this? Like, Why are you buying proxy equity stocks right that might have some relationship to Bitcoin. Why not just like buy Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, Bitcoin's this once in a lifetime opportunity of value, of value capture and value generation. And so I'm gonna buy infrastructure around it. Like what? No, just buy the, just buy the <laughs> Stocks asset. Stocks that,
0: that own some of it on their balance sheet. Yeah,
1: no, just, just go for the asset. I don't get it. Well, some people want this. It doesn't make any sense to me. They're probably boomers, whatever. <laughs>
0: This is this is for people who want to purchase in a way and they can't custody crypto. Uh, it's definitely not for uh, for folks that are on the bankless journey, but good to see JP Morgan, I guess, you know, providing some sort of proxy asset exposure to the class. People are gonna um, want it. Yeah. Logan Paul. <laughs> we gotta oh, talk boy. about Logan Paul, oh, I guess. <laughs> Just one maybe one thing here. So I'm not sure that okay. So uh is this the tweet? Yeah, that's the tweet. Yeah. yeah. SFI, Saffron Finance. So this is a DeFi protocol. It's kind of cool. It's Mm -hmm. a a cool DeFi protocol. Has legitimate
1: Um, investors and legitimate users. Has
0: legitimate investors is is sort of really interesting. But uh, I saw a Logan Paul tweet that said something like, I just bought or I'm super bullish on SFI, which is saffron's. It protocol. was right
1: after Coinbase Ventures, the venture arm of Coinbase announced that they had invested in it. Yeah. And Logan Paul was like, look, Coinbase is investing in SFI or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I saw this and I was like, what? What? Logan Paul, like what's going on? Is this like how a did Cuban he jump case? all the
1: way to SFI? That's extremely rich. Right.
0: Right. Well, like, but but uh, we brought on Mark Cuban, and mm-hmm. it turns out Mark Cuban had been playing in D five for months. Like, he was True. legit. He was right. crypto native. He knew what he was doing. It turns out that the the case with Logan Paul is not this. It Turns out that allegedly, SFI allegedly, 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 okay. So, but this is backed by some blockchain data. Right. So, also alleged, Strong. but also with some possible evidence that possibly someone paid Logan Paul thirty k to SFI tweet tokens. that out. Right whether or not this is true mm-hmm. david whether sfi somebody from sfi somebody paid logan paul to tweet this out whether or not that's true i think there's a lesson here for us right what do you think that lesson is
1: i think that lesson is that crypto is a dark forest and there are monsters that can eat you every step of the way and so if you saw that logan paul tweet and you're like oh my god logan paul's tweeting about sfi i'm going to go buy it somebody who if they did allegedly reward logan paul for that paid tweet they got their bags pumped, and that was worth it for them. So you got to be careful. Got to be careful.
0: You have to be super careful, especially when you see these celebrity tweets. Um, and it's going to get crazier and crazier in the bull yeah. run. David, okay, that's good practice news. run. <laughs> yeah, good practice run. We've we've issued some takes so far. Let's issue some more takes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one from Zero Hedge. I just like the title of this article, and I yeah. the, the entire article is fantastic. But everything is broken is the title. By is Tyler everything Durden. broken? <laughs> <laughs> By Tyler Durden. Everything is broken. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads. Everything is broken. He quotes a Bob Dylan song and then he gets into all of the things that are broken. Broken mm-hmm. credit. And uh, he talks about the credit market and the debt markets in the US. Broken retirement. Boomers cannot retire and god help Gen X and millennials and zoomers in retirement. A broken stock market that doesn't actually um, track value it just is tracks monetary policy y- yield curve price pumps broken data in the whole system writ large a broken unemployment system institutions are broken is the summary of this article David is everything broken
1: well that is it's pessimistic to say everything is broken but Uh, We are allegedly in a late-stage fiat credit cycle, which means our money isn't working. We have extremely entrenched institutions with wealthy elites not allowing any new institutions to come or those institutions to morph or evolve or adapt. They are staying as the same old institutions because they're funneling value into the elites that own them. Uh, things just seem to be aging and decrepit as social infrastructure um, so perhaps everything is broken breaking or broken or something
0: either way there's a bunch of stuff that just is not working right i think it's the case that it also depends on you know, your generation your stage of life mm-hmm. how you view the world as yeah, sure. as far as whether you, th- you see things as broken or not does that factor in
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the younger generations, me particularly, would be more inclined to think things are broken because younger millennials and, and Zoomers are just kind of, quote unquote, fed up with the system because the system doesn't incorporate them into the world. Uh, and so th- the things aren't working for them. They aren't working for the, for the systems. Everything is just misaligned.
0: Well, let's talk about the, the next take here, which I think is uh, maybe related to this. And this is, a um, take I just thought out, I was thinking of is people that get rich off of crypto will just reinvest in crypto. And that's how multi-generational sectors are born. When I was thinking of this tweet, David, I was really thinking about um, Silicon Valley. You know, and it started with uh, Hewlett Packard back in the you know 1960s and the uh, 70s. That's that's where Silicon Valley comes from, right? Um, the silicon chips that they created, and then the those who were successful from these early uh, chip manufacturer. Investments then went on to um, invest in and put capital into the the microprocessor revolution, the PC revolution, right? And that formed Silicon Valley, who later invested in the infrastructure of the internet, which became all of our social media companies today. So it's like the PayPal mafia, PayPal mafia, they created a sector. Well, we're seeing the same thing happen in crypto. There are a lot of people in crypto doing well right now mm-hmm. we've had many cycles of this right but if you were in early you're doing fairly well right now some people have even gotten rich off of crypto shocked as you might be to hear that and what are they doing with their funds well they're just reinvesting it they're doing what everybody who's gotten rich on something that they care passionately about does which is they become venture capitalists they mm-hmm. become investors they invest in the next generation of this Art this technology yeah, art like it's it's very much like it's similar to uh, how galaxies are formed, right? There there are multiple generations of stars, and you, you get the first generation that really breeds the the birthplace for the second generation of stars, Ooh, nice. and it keeps going, right? The like resources yeah.
1: get recirculated.
0: The resources get recirculated, and by the way, the 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 materials get richer and richer every time because mm-hmm. the the materials after a supernova explosion are like you know. Different on the periodic table of of elements. And that's exactly what's happening in crypto, which is why I think we're seeing this very rich organic soil of activity. When crypto people get rich, they are plowing that back into crypto. And that is how crypto becomes a multi-generational cycle of, of investments. We're just in cycle one, man. This is just like the very first cycle. There's going to be multiple waves of innovation, investment, and I like I'm already seeing it. All of these new DeFi protocols that are coming up and they're just like they're being invested in by the people who who did well on the previous cycle. What what any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, going back to that zero hedge article that we just came from where it says everything is broken. This is how we fix everything. This is the opposite of that. This is why we keep talking about new institutions that are going to fix the old ones. New digital institutions built on Ethereum, built on crypto, that fix all the problems by necessity, right? I'm, and I'm not saying that they, they're these perfect new institutions. Then they're just a complete upgrade. We're going to adopt these institutions because we don't have any other choice. There aren't any other institutions out, out, out there that are solving our own problems, right? And so. I'm particularly bullish on just, like, the adoption of, the, of these new digital institutions that we are trying to erect on Ethereum. And and you're totally right. Like, when people make a bunch of money off of a, an asset, they fall in love with that asset. They marry that asset. There's this phrase called, like, ma- being married to your bags. Perhaps I'm married to Ether. Um, (laughs) And when people, when crypto makes a bunch of money for people, they're not going to like, oh, well, now I can go back to the legacy world. Like, no, no, they're going to stay in crypto and they're going to help fund and seed it, right? And so uh, I shouted this out Or buy
0: art from it, or
1: buy art from it, which again funds artists, which funds jobs, which funds families, right? At the end of the day, and this goes back to what I was yelling about last weekly roll up. Listener, have you done something this week to find a job in crypto? Because if you haven't, why not? Because these new institutions need your help to build them. And if you build them and build them faster, this whole revolution can just be a lot easier. Uh, and so, you know, people getting rich off crypto and then recirculating that, that value. Oh, this is a really good point that I want to talk about. The reason why all the legacy institutions aren't working it's in, a, in my Cultural Revolution article, I, I talked, I harped on the boomers saying like the boomers didn't pass down the wealth, but it actually wasn't the boomers' fault. That was actually an inaccuracy. It's the, it's the wealthy elite, which also happens to be boomers, but specifically the wealthy elite boomers, which are fucking over all the other boomers just like the rest of us. And the reason why our legacy institutions aren't working for us is because the value that they are creating isn't circulating. It got captured. And it, right. this is the lesson that we need to learn from that. If we build... New institutions on Ethereum or new social or organizational structures that produce value for the world, they will be adopted. But if they don't recirculate that value, we will just do the same things that we did over again. It's not about... New institutions just by themselves, we need new institutions, but we need new institutions that can recirculate the wealth intrinsically, perpetually, so that they don't calcify, so that they don't become rigid and fix and only benefit some of the early adopters that just managed to get rich
0: off this whole ecosystem. Then is a the fee burn a problem, Maybe. Could be.
1: Could be. <laughs> Could be. Like these problems aren't solved. I believe Ethereum well, they- is magical, but it has plenty of problems that are ahead of it if we want to truly be revolutionary
0: yeah and the, the interesting thing here is i think that um everyone out there, many people outside of of crypto see this this speculative nature as, as a bad thing but the speculative nature like the the ability to generate wealth in the space is actually what that it's the it's the heartbeat of this space it's, mm-hmm. it's drawing the crowds into this space is all of the opportunity and there's definitely something to that um david this goes off maybe my supernova uh oh, beautiful like take here. Beautiful. Right. So this is this is um ETH expansion from Genesis. I hope that they make an NFT of this. But sorry, like podcast see,
1: listeners. Go watch the YouTube.
0: Yeah, go watch the YouTube. Look, okay, how would you describe this? This is almost like a big sort of a bang. big bang a big event, bang. right? From like like a, a very small point, mm-hmm. and what we're looking at is, um, I guess, the Ethereum network expansion from Genesis looks very mm-hmm. much like maybe the the start of the universe. All right, David, I'm about to play a clip from somebody at the Today Show and some some anchors who are trying to get their heads wrapped around this NFT revolution that we've talked so much about. This is um, this is somebody from NBC on the Today Show talking about. NFTs and describing it to the other anchors. You own it. Yeah, it's an internet thing. Complicated, but a non-fungible token. token. A non-fungible token. Savannah has a very
1: important (laughs) question. Yes, my question is, huh? No, no, but really, what do you do with it? Like, if you have a digital file that you paid two point five million dollars of, yeah, but then what? It, you can't it's hang yours. it up. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess you could say it's kind of like. And then you all show it to cases, your friend. You know, you're like, here <laughs> it is. I have it right here, and they're like, yeah, me too. And it looks the exact same. <laughs> but I paid for it. I paid two and a half million for it. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you're an
0: idiot. <laughs> <laughs> You can resell it. <laughs> I'm with you guys. A oh, little oh, confusing. Carrie,
1: we don't, we don't oh, want that to shoot was, the message. By the way. That's so that, crazy. That
0: was that was, that was was an entertaining. <laughs> and it goes on from there. Wow. Um, so yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you know what this reminded me of is um, there is there, there's this Katie clip Kirk. of. Well, yeah. Is that who? Wait.
1: yeah where they're all trying to figure out what the at sign is is the at sign the internet is that oh my what God the no no is? tell me
0: tell me about that I remember that clip I was actually thinking of a, a clip of Bill Gates and he was on The Tonight Show with David Letterman mm. and he was trying to describe like uh. the potential of the internet this is like 90, 1994 and 95 and he's describing it to to Letterman and he's like well the ability to like you know stream music online you can listen to your favorite songs and Letterman keeps going like what like the radio?
1: Like, right. I already have that. Right. I don't
0: need that. Um, but what were you talking about?
1: Yeah, I was talking about that Katie Kirk Matt Lauer, which is also the Today Show, by the way. So this is the same <laughs> exact show. <laughs> History repeats. I think it happened in like 1998, somewhere in the 90s, where they're talking about the internet. And so they're asking about like, the at sign, is, is that what the internet is? Like, where is the internet? Oh, is it the... the .com? Is that what the internet is? What's the internet? And they just, they just couldn't wrap their minds around it. So this kind of feels like the reprise to, to that, which is, it was pretty hilarious. They're asking good questions. So like you buy this $2.5 totally. <laughs> million NFT and then what? <laughs> and then
0: I don't but have the an answer see, to that. See, th- but they were also answering them too. He's mm-hmm. like, well, you could resell it. yeah. And you could definitely resell it, right? That that shows that there's sure. a market for it. So mm-hmm. um yeah, super fascinating, but there's definitely echoes of the early internet in, right. in people trying to wrap their heads around this NFT thing. I don't think this is going to be the case for like Zoomers yeah. or or even like younger millennials, right? We're just going, they're just, are newer generations accepted. are just going to natively get this. You mean there's the going to be new digital institutions
1: that the younger people are just going to accept because they're different and
0: better? Weird, Dude, weird. That, about, that, that feels like true. an article. It feels like an article you just wrote. Let's, yeah. let's get to our last section. Oh, but before we do... We want to tell you about the fantastic sponsors who made this roll up possible.
1: Synthetix is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetix is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an Oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetix. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, S-Oil, or s Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage, because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform and not found in the legacy world, check out Quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from Synthetics. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. But with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card today.
0: All right, David, let's get into what we're excited about. What are you excited about this week?
1: Oh, I'm excited about this digital cultural revolution that's upon us. (laughs) Just no big deal or anything. I wrote this article, (laughs) came out on the Bankless newsletter on Wednesday, titled The Digital Cultural Revolution. It's one of the longer articles I've ever written. Um, So I've done you a favor and I've read it uh, for you. So you can go consume that on the Bankless YouTube. Um, 18
0: minutes? uh, 18 minutes or so,
1: read? uh, 18-minute read. And I think it took me – reading it out loud is different. It's a little bit slower. So I think it's a 35-minute long video. Um, wow. Well uh, worth your time, though, guys. At 2x speed, it's 18 minutes. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> the, DL- the TLDR is that um, the social institutions that we that we've known aren't doing us any favors, and the crypto, the culture found in crypto is unique and offers really like a strong tailwind towards why this um, wh- why this industry I think is going to be adopted. Crypto culture is fucking awesome. And maybe I'm biased, but it, it resonates with young people. It res- resonates with the digitally native. And it also is really hard hitting for the people that can't really find their place in in the normal outside world, the out- outside world, who are struggling to like find a way to contribute value to back to the world because social institutions are entrenched and they are not passing down wealth to the people that need it, the young people. And there's this unfortunate reality that happens when so many people try and find ways to achieve their goals and, to, and f- try and find ways to contribute to society, and then they don't actually, and they, those goals end up getting thwarted. When you're, this is a lesson in psychology, when your goals get thwarted over and over and over again, you stop trying, you end up becoming, you learn to be helpless. And this is a state of learned helplessness, it's bad, We want to avoid that. And we need an environment that allows younger people to achieve their goals. And there's nothing more like rich and fertile than the crypto ecosystem to make a name for yourself and build something up and contribute something of of value, whether it's art for NFTs or community members in, in DeFi protocols, or again, $200 million in DAOs available for funding. You can go make a name for yourself and then get convinced DAOs to pay you money. This is how labor works. Um, and so the culture behind crypto, I think, is going to offer very a very compelling new host, a new landscape for digital digitally native generations, the Zoomers and the Millennials, to come over and start building stuff.
0: Yeah, the, you inter, you wove together, I think, a, a number of different themes in an interesting way in, in this in this article. We're talking about the cultural renaissance because you're not just talking about a cultural renaissance, right? And like the The aging and the the falling apart of our and the failings of our institutions, but you're also talking about like this opportunity renaissance, right? Where there's all of this opportunity for young people in institution in these new institutions that are forming in the the, kind of their proto phases and their birth phases, that is are not present. These opportunities are not present with the established institutions. Everything is calcified, is is hardened. Um, I think this is why. Like many young people, like choose not to vote. I think that's a mistake. You should vote, but like they choose not to because of this learned helplessness that you're talking about. But this, these new institutions, these crypto institutions, this infinite white space that we've been talking about, is uh, much more malleable, and it feels like much more open. It feels m- much, much more free. And I think culture is a reflection of of all of these things it's a reflection of these new institutions and the new opportunities that come as a as a result of creating this whole new digital economy and it seems to me that culture just falls out um it falls out of that but it's you know in your, in your article you're talking about like all of these sort of memes about you know how lonely people are and how depressed they feel about their their certain their life circumstances um crypto is the opposite of that dude. It's so like opposite. it's, it's so optimistic, it's So optimistic. right? Like it's, it's almost optimistic to a fault. Right. I feel like. like we're like, if we make mistakes on bankless, it's because we're like overly bullish about overly things excited, and overly yeah. optimistic or like the timing isn't, isn't correct. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's very different than I think the, the cloud of helplessness that, Persists over, over some of the younger generations in our established institutions. So that, that was my takeaway from it. It's like a great article, dude.
1: Oh, thank you. I, and I hope people take that article and run with it
0: because it's supposed
1: to inspire people to to... You have the opportunity to do something new in a new realm that is asking for people to do something in it. So it's really a call out to people that are interested in helping build out this world because it needs to be built out. I use this line in the, in the article saying, they, there's two people, there's two things that are missing from this world. It's people and structures. And those tr- structures are getting built every single step of the day. Those are the DeFi apps. Those are the NFT infrastructures. Those are all the things that help people do things, but we also need more people. Um, so we need your help to build out the world. We can make a, well world a better place. a world a well better sad. place. Ryan, what are you yeah. excited about?
0: Look, I'm just going to say it. EIP-1559 is what I'm excited about. It's finally approved. It is the third leg of the stool for Ether's value proposition. And um, look, it's full steam ahead, man. maybe this summer. We'll see. Sometimes hard forks can get delayed, of course, but possibly this summer, Ethereum will have its scarcity engine installed and activated. Uh, And I think that anybody who was Doubting or pessimistic about the the value accrual mechanisms of ether as an asset, like this, just kind of slays that argument because block space demand. Ethereum is already the the highest demanded block space uh, network that has been built. Um, it is generating the most revenue from transaction fees, uh, pouring that into the scarcity of its asset. Look, dude, that's going to be just a powerful mechanism, but also, as you said earlier, a powerful narrative. So. That's what I'm excited about, man. It's coming.
1: So, question to you: uh, the most the most bullish thing is to be understood. But when EIP one five five nine gets integrated into Ethereum, it doesn't mean that the world automatically understands it. How long yeah. are they? How long is it going to take for them to catch up?
0: You know, I think actually, um, price follows narrative in these in these kind of uh, circumstances, and narrative follows price, right? So, mm. look, even think about the name EIP 1559 right? Like. <laughs> What is that? <laughs> what a terrible like what a terrible name for mainstream right. consumption. and the, the ethereum community hasn't really come up with something better. so we're like we're like rallying around EIP 1559 but but when eth price starts to go up, the outside world mainstream will start to look for explanations as to why. and that's where the feedback loop of narrative to price mm-hmm. comes in. Uh, ah, so it must that have is in that
1: EIP 1559 thing.
0: Yep, and they'll, they'll explain it this cycle, and they'll go figure it out this cycle, and then it'll start to make sense, and we'll even come up with better terms, better memes. It'll no longer be called EIP-1559, or if it does, it's because geek speak has somehow translated into mainstream speak. Um, I, like the term, I think
1: we lose the term EIP-1559, and actually the bullish case is that we just start to call it Ethereum once it gets integrated.
0: It, totally, that could be the case. I've also seen the, this weird thing where uh, sometimes geek speak actually becomes the mainstream the speak. Yeah, like like gifts, right? Yeah. Was that like you know twenty like NFTs? Right. It's surprising. I do hope NFTs tokens. start to
1: become nifty, start to be called nifties. I think that's a better name. Also, huge to will. Nifty Gateway if that becomes true. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> they're they're definitely betting on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. All right, David, time for the meme of the week. Your favorite part Let of the week. Let me show the meme of the week. I know, guys, you've been waiting for this all week. This is another bankless week, a uh, bankless meme week. Bankless Instagram is where this was first published. What are we looking at here? Tom and Jerry, did you watch that cartoon as a kid?
1: Yeah, I did. Not enough clearly though, because I had to refresh my memory (laughs) as to which one's Tom and which one's Jerry. (laughs) Turns out uh, Tom is the cat and Jerry's the mouse, just if anyone else needs that help.
0: Thank you for clarifying. All right, what are we looking at? We're looking at uh Tom then, who is like this big, bulky, muscular figure as the cat, and he's reaching out to Jerry and Tom is labeled ETH LTUs reaching out to ETH killers and the caption here is competitors are stuck in a rat race. I think that this is saying that basically LTUs are going to uh are going to win against these ETH killers, it's kind of, this is kind of a maximalist tweet. I don't it know. to this, David? Super
1: duper maximalist <laughs> tweet, but it's okay kind because I though. think it's the correct one. The whole point about <laughs> this is that economic activity on Ethereum, of which there is a ton of, is closer to Ethereum L2s than it is to ETH killers. And so if Ethereum L2s offer the same things that eth killers do well people economic activity will just go to the l2s because it's closer to ethereum it's closer to the nexus it's closer to the heartbeat
0: now we should point out that uh in the in the actual show jerry always ends up winning so this don't, tweet it may have actually backfired we can't okay all right don't read into this tweet too yeah. deeply guys <laughs> if you've watched the show look <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. That has been meme of the week. This has been another roll up the second week of March, almost into springtime. Definitely springtime for crypto. Mm-hmm. Really exciting.
1: New growth on the plants everywhere, new growth in
0: DeFi assets,
1: new growth all around. Optimism about the future, optimism about digital culture.
0: Look, dude, the plants in in your office are looking pretty good, too. I don't know if you've added something recently, but it's definitely flourishing under your uh, care. Well done.
1: (laughs) Thank you, sir. Guys,
0: risks and disclaimers, of course. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. Bitcoin is risky. All of these DeFi protocols are. You could lose what you put in, but we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on The Bankless Journey. Thanks a lot.